0: Welcome to everyone that is uh, joining this third season of the IOKO Inspire series. Um, As always, we start with a a bit of music as I just do the uh, the intro there. I think it will become apparent as we get into this why I chose this. If it isn't, just ask and I'll tell you later. Um, And as always, please do make this participative. So if you've got questions, shout them out, stick them in, put them in the Q&A function because I get to those quicker. If you can't find that, just use the chat. We'll try to pick some of those up as well. But for now, I'm just going to hand over to um, Pusiletso to actually give the formal introduction. Over to you.
1: Hi, everyone. My name is Pusiletso Gobinga. I'm the head of financial planning and analytics here at the OH. I have the great pleasure of welcoming you to episode three of the Inspire series. Last week, we heard from Stanford Massey on purposeful leadership in unicorns. It was an intriguing discussion indeed. Two points that resonated with me from the conversations were, you need to understand humanity more than you understand technology. And true invention and innovation doesn't exist among business people and entrepreneurs. It exists when people are having fun. If you missed last week's episode, please take a moment to watch the full webinar recording on our website, ayoko.tech. Stay tuned as Colin speaks, speaks to our author and businesswoman, Professor Shelley Zin, on the topic, Do Boards Need New Purpose? You're welcome to post your questions or comments in the chat for our speaker. I'd like now to hand over to Colin of Innovation Catalyst, who will facilitate the conversation. Over to you, Colin. Thank you.
0: Thank you. And um, and thank you very much as well. I'm just going to go and click a button there. Right. Right. Um, Prof, Prof, thin. Um, I'll just give a quick intro because as we we're saying beforehand, if you're going to do it, um, we could be here for about 15 minutes because it is a very illustrious career that we've got here. Um, you've been to Harvard, you've won awards, top co-media, for example, top women in business, top executive, and I'm having to look at some notes here because there's just too many for me to remember. You've been HR director at companies like SARS, Nedbank and Standard Bank, um, and Woolworths, non-executive director at organisations currently like Sanlam, Afrocentric, Spur, uh, the World Wildlife Front MTNSA and I'm having to take breaths in between each of these. You're an adjunct <laughs> professor at UCT and an executive director for the Boston Consulting Group. A very warm welcome to this particular episode and if you don't mind I'd like to, to kick off right with a question. You come from a background which um, I would say was tough um, and perhaps that isn't actually uh, summarizing it uh, correctly. You come from the Cape Flats. You had none of the the access and network and and financial support that many people who have a career like this would have started with. What would you say it was that has allowed you to succeed where so many of the people that you started with haven't?
2: Thank you very much, Colin. Um, Thanks for having me. And that's a great great question to start off with. I think that, yes, um, growing up in the Cape Flats uh, was very tough and still is um, um, for, for, for many people there. The socioeconomic challenges are deep and wide and, and uh, persistent. Um, poverty, gangsterism, um, um, drug abuse, um, all of the challenges that we that we are, are still fraught with. Um, and somewhere in, in me um, at a very early age, um, uh, my parents started to plant a seed of. Um, education is very important, and you will um, get to metric. Um, and I don't need to tell you about the numbers, Colin, of people who still don't make it to matric, particularly women and girls coming out of these um, very challenging areas. And um, my father was saying to me, you know, you've got to have you got to have some targets and you've got to set yourself some goals. And really, we don't want you to get stuck in this place. And um And my mother, on the flip side, was around values of respect, values of humility, values of hard work and excellence and and generosity and kindness to others. And so with this kind of, um, they didn't use these big words like vision and values. Um, I started on a journey that said I needed to finish um, matric. And and when I got to matric, I had two teachers. And this is so pivotal because... Um, often we we don't listen well enough to what people are, are, are saying to us or we don't take away um, you know the gift that is within it um, and they actually said to me in the middle of the uh, of my here, which was incredibly daunting for me they, they said to me you know what you have the potential to do so much more than you think is possible and I was just kind of blown over they and but this, the conversation started out you are not the brightest p in the pod we know you have to work hard um, for for getting the results that you do um but you have the potential to do so much more and i want to say to people today on this call that um each one of us has magic has talent often that remains unleashed within ourselves and these two teachers took five minutes of a day to have a conversation with me to tell me this and um and I said, so what is it that you actually would like me to do? And they said, go home and have a conversation about university tonight um, with your parents, and we're going to help you um, to apply and get us a birthday. And this is how the journey um, uh, through education really started. And, and for me, that was a pivotal, um, a pivotal moment um, in my life that set me upon a trajectory perhaps that I might never have imagined. So, some of the lessons I've learned in that is that yes, life tosses us curveballs and adversity, and even tragedy. And it's really, you know, um, something uh, like the great Nelson Mandela said: "It seems impossible until it's done." And um, and once we start to believe in ourselves and we listen to those around us who believe in us, often sometimes before we believe in ourselves, it it really does. Uh, start um, a little message within your own soul that says you know what I can actually I actually have the resilience and the tenacity to pull through this and I think that for me Colin is is really um, um, where this mindfulness um, started. How
0: important was it uh, to have that support network to give you the confidence and encouragement and to help you on that journey?
2: I think the support network is very, very important, um, and, and I do want to say to people today as well, it is absolutely vital that we surround ourselves with people who um, will uplift and inspire us. Um, we inherit a lot of people, Colin. We inherit family and friends and, and often toxic situations, but we need to make a deliberate and conscious choice to say, I want to choose to, to spend my time with people that can uplift and inspire me. So whether it be a coach, a mentee, a good friend, a colleague you can trust, um, it's it's good to surround yourself with people like this, because they're the people who will support you um, um, through the difficulties um, that, that, that will inevitably come our way. Um, we are human beings um, and uh, there are all sorts of um, challenges um, that I didn't even imagine would, would come my way um, in life. And just on a, a deeply personal note, um, uh, you know, after um, coming back from Harvard with a doctorate and really having had some wonderful opportunities, we we lost our only child in a terrible car accident from which I'm very fortunate um, to be alive. And I think that is a day I really realized um, on, on on you know, in, in all of this devastation, I need to live my life uh, with meaning and with purpose, and that we have, uh, a, a, that you know, that I have an, an opportunity um, to make a contribution and to make a difference, um, because I'm still here. And um, and so that is where the book um, came from, um, Conan, because it really is about swimming upstream in life, and that we all, all face um, some sort of adversity along the way but that we live our lives meaningfully and purposefully is absolutely critical and then how one takes that meaning and purpose in everything that you do whether it be personal or professional and make sure that you are living your purpose every day
0: and one last question on that journey did you ever have this aspirational target when you were young or did it ever occur even up till now I mean you're still young um, where you said I'm going to achieve all these incredible things or was it a little bit more short term that way you just trying to you know look forward the next 12 months and achieve the next target and the next target and then you look back and, well, I've gone through a really cumulative, exponential sort of growth here just by focusing on the kind of medium and short term.
2: Well, I mean, the, the first thing was um, that, that the, the promise to finish matric, you know, started to gel around the age of about six years old already and um, and, and and getting there was 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 massive in our lives. And then um, and being told that you know you have the potential to actually go to university. Um, I think that you know, there were always little seeds and messages uh, being planted um, that said you can you can actually step up and you can do the next thing. So I figured, while well, I finished my first degree, um, it was very difficult. I mean, I, if I can just digress for one second in my first year at university, it was in 1980, so there goes everything around the age, um, but the, if you recall in 1980 there was a massive education uprising in this country and we didn't have uh, any classes for, for a good few months and I had to cancel my, my registration, I had to cancel my bursary and I had to find a job which I, which I battled to find, I couldn't find anything and so of course a few months later. I went begging and pleading to the University to please cancel my cancellation and, and so that I could get back and actually finish. And so after all of that difficulty, getting through the first degree, I just told myself, well, you're on a roll. So just, just keep keep going. And um, so I was teaching and I was studying. Most of my studies were, were done uh, part-time, but um, there was this constant, uh, you know, um, um, I was drawn to um, and the, the idea that I can actually do this. And so we'll do, I'll try and do more every year. So it wasn't a big master plan. It was just really how the, the universe came together for me. So that going to Harvard, for example, um, uh, my mother-in-law still clips out little newspaper clippings for me in case I miss it somehow. And, and this particular one she gave me was the Harvard South African Fellowship is now open for application. And I said to her, do you really think that I can go to Harvard? Is this, uh, you know, something that you really think I should apply for? And she said to me, you know, if you don't apply, you'll never know. So um, so of course I applied and there are five of us had got got to go to Harvard for for a year, fully paid. It was the first year in my life I didn't have to worry about money and where it was gonna come from. I need to say to this audience again today that just yesterday, the Harvard South African Fellowship put out their applications are open again. So if you're interested, go and check the web pay, uh, we, uh, the, the website out. But um, it, it's just something that I didn't plan for, didn't think would happen. Even when I went to the interview, it was so compelling and so intense. I thought, this is never going to turn into anything that you know, is going to lead me to Harvard. And of course, when I got there, I, I did a second master's. I just finished the first one at U- University of the Western Cape. When I got there, I was with, with this amazing people, amazing experience. Um, and was a little bit terrified coming out of South Africa into this international environment. Um, and everybody had kind of over-egged the Ivy League story. And so it was kind of, yes, you can do this. Um, and I had a supervisor that said, you will do your doctorate when, you, when you're done with your master's. And I'm kind of... I really do need to get home for a whole lot of reasons, but yeah, we were, and um, and so it 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 wasn't things didn't always go according to a plan. It was just how things evolved. And but I think what the, what is important is is to be open um, to those opportunities, have a mindset that says um, I'm gonna I'm going to try. I'm going to it seems impossible, but I'm I'm going to going to I'm going to give it a go and give yourself the permission to um, not just feel the fear that you might fail, but the courage that you might overcome it. And, and these were um, you know, some of the things I had to, I had to really um, learn along the way is to, is to you know, manage managing the, the unknown, but being brave enough to step into it at the same time and, and navigating that, that fine line between it. Um, and um, I'm very, I was very, very fortunate um, in in my life to always find people who were were ready to to say this is this is something that you actually can do. And then coming back with a doctorate, um, having had uh, a baby right in the middle of all of that as well, um, you know, is is is, is quite uh, it was quite um, amazing because it's uh, you know we often think we can live our lives um, in little compartments, and for me. Um, We we need to live our lives to the full. We need to be, you know, good parents. We need to be good in our community. We need to be good at work. Um, We we just need to embrace uh, this whole uh, thing of of, of excellence wherever wherever, wherever we are in whatever it is that we are doing. And um, I think trying to, uh, what I also learned with the devastation of of losing our our only child, Jamie, um, was that you know time is finite um we don't have forever to do things and we we can't be procrastinating and putting things off and missing opportunities um because we 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 feel maybe we're not ready or maybe we're not worthy or maybe we're not adequate um i believe that we need to seize every possible moment and make the very best of it and so that's a way i've been i've been navigating through um, some of the opportunities and even the disappointments, which there are many of as we go along the way. Mm. So Colin, I came back with this doctorate um, from Harvard and a master's degree and I was very excited to come back to South Africa to um, to work in the Western Cape Education Department. And of course, I applied for a few jobs. I went for one or two interviews and I did not land a job there. And many of us who have gotten the, the letter to say we, we regret to inform you have had um, you know, such it's disappointing. It feels like, wow, you know, why not? Um, um, But while I was kind of worried about that door closing and why I did, a much bigger door into the world of human resource management opened up to me. And I went from academia into into a corporate for the first time. Um, And that's simply because I changed my mindset about what the limitations are in terms of what what I couldn't, couldn't do, and, and my entire life was uh, growth in, 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 in a, in a, into a trajectory and uh, uh, a career that um, I hadn't anticipated, or hadn't maybe you can say hadn't uh, got a qualification in. Although all my qualifications are in education, it was a great foundation for working with development of human potential and unleashing human talent. And this is what I absolutely love doing so um, it's it just been um quite a journey but I, I would say that we need to um you know sometimes try things that are, are quite different um and not get get ourselves stuck or beat ourselves up too much um if we fail we need to get up and and move on if we get a letter that says we regret to inform you um you can't stay angry forever was the other thing i realized you got to you know, um, say, so I'm going to go for the next interview. I can't carry all this baggage with me. Let me stop preparing myself. Let me build my car. Let me put my, let me be a credible candidate for the next role. And so, um, so I just want to encourage people because there's so much doom and gloom, um, but there's also so much in our makeup as human beings um, to, to, to find that magic within ourselves that we can unlock and we must
0: allow ourselves to shine. Let's let's take that onto the corporate perspective then, because many all of all of those tips, you know, right from listening to the network to experiment to fail to keep pushing forward, um, are so applicable when you're in a corporate environment. And you went in on the the HR space, and and I suppose my question is, how important do you think those those kind of uh, personal mindsets are to go and cultivate across an organization and, and i guess the the uh, the term people would use typically would be the culture of the organization
2: um that's a great question colin because um i had the opportunity to work in some amazing organizations in my time um and um one of them uh was you, was you
0: also work in less amazing um organizations <laughs> yes. as well so you're going to you're you're going to give us the contrast
2: I know you're gonna, you're gonna come at me for that. Um, But um, I want to say that, you know, culture is becoming far more important than it has ever been. I remember Colin days of being an HR director, sitting in a boardroom, uh, presenting my HR report, talking about how important the link is between value and values. And why corporate culture is so important, why we do need to care about our staff, our, our, our human, our human, you know, the human element, why that has to be uh, priority number one in an organization. And literally people's eyes would roll back in their heads and they would say, we're running a business here. You know, um, I think that the smarter organizations now have actually figured out And I think investors now and shareholders have also figured out that culture is front and center of who we are, what we are about, why we exist, it frames our purpose, Um, and there are lots of organizations, especially now post- Uh, you know, well, not post the pandemic, because we're still in it, but during this pandemic have begun to understand that the importance of a humanistic culture and the importance of human beings, um, um, whether they be staff or whether they be suppliers or the community or customers, that these things are intangibles um, and often soft and fluffy things that people didn't want to talk about before, or didn't seem to see that there was a business imperative in it. I think now the culture is, a, is, is so key to a corporate's ability to attract talent, to improve business performance, and to drive, to drive long-term value. So I can use the example of NetBank because it's been cited often, and I know um, uh, many of you would have heard me say this um, often, but we, we followed some work that had been done by uh, Richard Barrett, um, who, had, who was the author of Liberating the Corporate Soul. And um, Nedbank was in serious trouble uh, um, around 2004-2005, and I was on boarded as the HR Director in 2005. Um, and they realized that they could not do a financial turnaround successfully if the 25,000 people in the organization who had been bruised and battered by front page news, uh, decline in share price, and, and just uh, you know not very good press for a long, long time. Um, and how do you get uh, people to buy into a new vision with a new executive committee and a new CEO that has to, to, to change um, and, and, and ensure that an organization is actually going to sustain itself firstly, and it's going to thrive and and we were in very very serious trouble so it was a it was a, a structured financial turnaround process that we had to do and one of the things that that we had done was to say um we, the hypothesis is the closer your personal um values are to an organization's uh, values the more uh, performance orientated is the more discretionary effort you get the more people enjoy and love coming to work the prouder people are of your brand um and of course the opposite is true as well um the more chaos and 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 um, um and dysfunctionality you have in your organization they call it in- entropy then um the 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 you know the the more you're going to need ICU see to, to to survive and so um the idea was to to get the organization and and the people's values as close together as possible and i'm usually oversimplifying something now so be good a good read for those of you are interested in this but we could literally see that as the culture of the organization improved the financials improved. And I don't want to say there was a massive correlation. I don't want to make big claims like that. But I do want to say that the performance of an organisation, the attractiveness of an organisation, especially in times of uncertainty, especially at a time like this, where reputational capital is so important, and we have seen spectacular failures in organisations, especially around corporate governance, we need to say, how do we build business resiliency now how do we mitigate the risks um, um, in our organization and how do we use this thing called culture and set a tone from the top that said that says we are ethical leaders we are inspirational and transformational leaders and that we see the importance of of, of human beings and the importance that of the value that comes with living our values and so so for me that is, that is very important. So so
0: It's a great question. And how do we do that? Because I think the evidence is now overwhelming that companies with strong cultures are in a much better position to to succeed. And I also see companies that are coming through and they're accelerating their innovation. And obviously innovation is the key to their future revenue streams. And to do innovation, you've got to have a lot of trust. You've got to have a, a... almost a society in the organization where they're willing to fail and try and experiment and try again and help each other and pride doesn't get in the way and break down silos and all the other things that you read in management books why do you think that so many CEOs even today especially in, in large incumbent organizations still seem to think that culture is something to delegate to their head of HR
2: I think because um, the, the these are uh, you know a lack of understanding of what lies at the heart of every organization what really i mean if if you're telling me that you know we're running a business so don't come and talk about care for human beings you know i think then you've completely you've completely missed the boat Um, and i think that you're probably not gonna you know gonna last um, uh, very long um, as a result of that and and i think that organizations um, today, I think even shareholders have cottoned on to the fact that the stronger an organization's culture is, the the, 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 um, the ability for them to perform more effectively and efficiently and build that trust um, with, with communities and with suppliers and with customers um, and with key stakeholders, which is another point we need to come to, Colin, in all of this, because Our organizations are a microcosm of our society, so we cannot run great organizations if we don't have a sense of what is going on in our communities, what's, you know, where we are doing business, are we contributing, can we contribute, who are we in the eyes of of, of people around us, and I think that many of us, many organizations are now beginning to say no we have a responsibility to the environment the whole matter of, of of you know what should boards be doing and what should ceos be focusing on what is a board and people ask me so should you serve on these boards so, you know what do boards actually do what do they do i mean we just you see one one set of uh, you know series of Troubles after the next for many of our boards today. Let's let's come on
0: to the boards in a minute because I want I just want to to lead into it with one more question about the at the C-suite level. So we've got this uh, problem that culture is not really binding in a lot Mm -hmm. of organizations. It's incredibly powerful if you get it. How important is it that the leadership team sets a clear purpose which isn't specifically related to profit and short term financial metrics? To actually then use that as the construct to build that culture that you're talking about?
2: I think that purpose is absolutely critical. It's 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 part of this values conversation and culture conversation that we've been having. And I do believe that organizations have to, in these chaotic times, review, reflect, relook how and why they they do business. Um and they need to look very deeply. And I think there's this alignment of people who come and work in an organization, their purpose, if it can be aligned to an organization's purpose and an organization's purpose is aligned, the board is aligned to what it's doing. Um, And the, you know, it it goes beyond just maximizing on profits and shareholder returns. Before we used to say, we used to talk about creating of, of shareholder wealth. But I think that purpose is a worthwhile endeavor, not necessarily one that boards have practiced well up up till now. But I think what COVID has given us is an opportunity to review where we currently are and at our very deepest level, who we are and what we are about. And I think that one of the reasons, Colin, why this doesn't always resonate with people. First of all, it feels another soft and fluffy thing. Why do we need to talk about purpose, you know? Um, And there's a stubborn view still um, being held um, in many that um, say what worked in the past will continue to work today um, notwithstanding the huge pace of change and, and and all the disruption of digitization and the challenges out there um, and that there is some hard research done that says purpose-driven companies outperform financial markets markets significantly and this is you know the proper research that's been done. So if you look at what is what is purpose? Um, purpose is really our core reason for being. Um, it is, it, it defines our impact on the world. Um, and there's something magical, maybe fairy dust about it that people would have said a few years ago, Ah, oh, no, it's, it's not even worth thinking about this. But it is a real ability to create value because you understand and embrace and live your purpose in everything that you do. So we, we need a purpose-driven mindset in the current, uh, current day scenario that we are facing. We need behavior that is purpose driven. We need the rational and the emotional, the intellectual and the um, um and, and the kind of non in, the, so, sorry, the intangible bits of who we are to all come together in a unique proposition of what of what purpose is and we know that results are a derivative of purpose um, and so if we have purpose we will have results um well, and let's, let's, take this
0: to the, let's take this to the board level then yeah. and um you know to, to put real names into you know the the uh this this purpose idea discovery it's a very easy one to choose adrian gore consistently on record we would not be where we are if our purpose wasn't at the core of what we do yes we're an insurer but our goal is to help people live longer and healthier i see the same at Capitec. we've had guests on previously and coming up in the next uh, couple of weeks um who've built purpose as the core of the success of their organizations rob paddock for example with get smarter Look overseas, you've got your Tesla's of the world. They don't build cars, it's about sustainable transport. We could go on and on and on in different industries and show this, this new uprising of purposeful organizations generating massive returns for their shareholders and outperforming the market, not just by small increments, but by, by hundreds of percent over cumulative periods. What's going wrong at the board level? to continually allow for this not to become a significant part of the strategy at the EXCO level?
2: I think that, you know, everything starts at the top. So I think the CEO needs to lead with purpose. And once they understand what that means and what the implications are and what the impact of that kind of leadership will be, on their profitability, on their position in society, where they also not where, where, they, where we need to be doing so much more work at the moment. Um, I believe that, uh, you know, that is the beginning of that journey. And we need to take a good hard look at ourselves and assess um, ourselves as executives to say, are we mindful of w- whether we are purposeful or not? Because we don't have purpose, we actually are rudderless are in this world. And then I think purposefulness um, at the board level, we need to have a clearly articulated understanding of, 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 of what our purpose, is, uh, our purpose is. And and sometimes people also now, you know, will um, say, yeah, but we have vision and we have mission and we have stated values and we, you know, we have all of that. I mean, can we summarize our reason for ex, our core reason for existence um in a sentence that takes into account not only the fact that we are business but that we are making a difference uh, to society to the environment um, and can be articulated uh, maybe as um, proficiently as the examples that you have just made and i think that there are lots of organizations that yet have to um, develop a, a sense of purpose and a long-term approach that will be able to navigate them as well through this current uh, current crisis. And so... Um, you said, uh, but
0: just, uh, sorry, I just I know I'm interrupting. I've got to stop doing that. Yeah, but, um, I, get, I just get so excited about the theme that you're going down. Because if I look, you know, I feel sorry for CEOs. I really do. I mean, you make it sound quite easy for them. But I think CEOs who, especially the ones that come in in organizations that have been around for a long time. It's already pre-prescribed what they've got to focus on. You know, it's almost paint by numbers. That diary is gonna be filled up by their PA very, very quickly. And obviously the results preparation, the discussion, the strat session, then what's happening in the operating teams. Now here's the targets, here's the metrics, here's the KPIs, they're underperforming. It's almost a a sort of conveyor belt of meetings that they've got to go to. And yet we're, we're asking them to step back and say, no, You've got to go deeper. It's not about profit and margin and and sort of product focus. You've got to find an underlying purpose for your team to bind around. And if I was in that position, I'd be going, "Well, well, where's my support? Because the shareholders through their proxies, the asset managers, unit trust, pension funds, analysts of different ilk, they're not interested in that. And then the board who they also see as the stewards of the organization are going through their own journey here. So they're not going to give the support the ceos that want to go and do that what, what how can you get that shifted because it feels like there's a huge weight you know on top of ceos which they've got to try to go and get with them on this journey and, and i don't think many of those constituents want to go with them
2: yeah i think i think it's a, such a great question because the, the, the underlying point there is how do you translate purpose into practice how do you enthuse um, energize people around you as a CEO um, because you can't you can't do this by yourself how do you use the leadership um, that's provided by your HR head um, by your CFO and others in the c-suite um, and collectively try to shape and influence, um, the depth and breadth of your, of your, of your, of your um, collective decisions that you want to make about the business. Um, and, and that takes um, reflection. It takes um, a moment to just stop in the bustle of your diary and the lists of things that you have to do. Maybe Colin, we need to look at the list of things that we are doing and ask ourselves, has this got anything to do with our purpose? And if we're not doing things that are helping us to um, achieve that or translate purpose into practice, um, then we're probably doing things that we shouldn't be doing. Um, And and we're probably having the wrong conversations and placing our energies in the wrong space. So for me, it's really about um, how do you adapt or adopt a clear sense of uh, the statement of purpose, and how do you make sure that that purpose frames up the way we do things and make decisions? How do we build support? And I and I entirely agree with you that this is not an HR issue in and of itself, because that's usually where it would go. And somebody, uh, you know, uh, would, would be adding something on without the integration. Um, and I think that it is a business imperative to ensure that um, we need to measure whether um, you know uh, and evaluate a corporate success in delivering on its stated purpose, and that ensure that the leadership exemplifies and communicate and communicates this a purpose through its narratives, through everything that we are when we write the integrated annual report, when we do a talk to our, our, our employees, when we're doing a talk to the investor community, and I think. The investor community is a key component. The shareholders, our broader stakeholders, or if you look at what's been happening in AGMs over the the last maybe twelve months, they are pushing back and saying, you know, we we need to be focusing more on on our people, um, on on their safety and on their well being. We need to be focusing more on our, on our environment and climate change. Yes, and somebody actually went as far last week as saying. Um, was on one of these events uh, talking about um, uh, executive remuneration and and somebody said well if we're going to put in non-financial measures um please don't for for environmental for example please don't say you are planting 100 trees because what are you doing at the core of your behavior your very way of being in the world what are you changing in terms of your products and your services to ensure that you are um, creating a sustainable um, um environment for businesses to thrive and for people to grow and develop and so so, so against that backdrop
0: prop yeah. what is the what should the board's um purpose actually be and is it the same as what it should have been say 20 years ago and, and while exactly. you're answering that i'm just going to launch a, a little poll as well because i had to do it earlier but i always forget <laughs> and i get told off
2: oh you forgot about your poll yeah okay that's
0: okay we'll we'll do that in parallel
2: OK, great. So, so you know, if you look at um, um, what is the point of a board anyway? You know, if we took boards away, would organizations perform better or worse? Um, it would things mm-hmm. be different? And, and I think um, sometimes, you know, we, we, there, there are compliance issues, there are regulations, and there are king, uh, the king codes. It's the Companies Act. Is, all of those things that, that give a definition to what a board's purpose really should be. But I think that we, in, in very simple and plain terms, are here to ensure a company's prosperity, um, ensuring that we are collectively directing company strategy, and that we are um, um, acting in the best interests of shareholders and our, and our broader stakeholders. And that we need to inspire hope we need to be credible leaders and that yes we have a unique kind of demands on us in terms of responsibilities and challenges but i think that we must um, i think that there is a new imperative for boards i mean this is the question we're talking about um, today you know under the topic if you look at you know do, do boards need new purpose and i i do believe that many of us have lost their way and that I, I think that we need to sit down um, and think really hard about our purpose as a board and how do we shift the conversations um, that we are currently having, often based on tick box uh, kind of, you know, um, uh, um, and, and I'm not saying that we must throw the baby out of the bathwater. There are things that we absolutely need to do, from good governance to ethical leadership to oversight. And and all of those important decisions that we have to make on dividends and remuneration, all of those things are, are given. But I think the calling is much higher, Colin. It's a much bigger purpose that we um that we need to be more knowledgeable and 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 and, and especially If you in- say
0: this on a lot of the boards that you sit on. It if I'm imagining it, this must be like heresy for some of them.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's a, it was it was once constantly trying to um to steer them in a direction to say yes we, we 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 will make we will make the profits if we do the right things if we do the right things when it comes to our people we do the right things when it comes to our communities and um and our environment and our sustainability and that we um we ensure that we absolutely have ethical leadership and good governance if you start to talk about that if you start to talk about things like um uh, um, you know, what has happened during this pandemic, um, um, it is up in the so many facets of the way we, we do business, it's impossible to try and go back to any of, of what we knew before. We now also have to have conversations about um, diversity and racial justice. This is not an HR issue any longer. It is a business issue. You, you know, it can destroy your reputation in five seconds if you, you know, got the said... said uh, something that you you should not have said um, or done. Um, we've got to be thinking about socioeconomic inequality. We've got to be talking about uh, um, climate change. And, and now we have technology and cyber risks. If we are not thinking about that, um, Yes, and then there are the perennial things around you know board leadership, structure activism, risk management, crisis management, all those kind of things. we still absolutely have to do all of those things that relate to compliance um, so the, the, well, the, the, the this sounds board, like
0: a utopia it, this really does sound like a, a utopia. there are some boards out there um, that operate like that
2: yeah um, but there are many or but not. The main.
0: The majority, I don't think, do. That's my kind of uh, impression from chatting with board members and people that work closely with boards. Is there a structural issue here about how we go about actually forming the board and setting the goals that that board should be striving to actually achieve?
2: Yeah, I I think we need to be more purposeful about that as well. I think that... You know, we get uh, we get onto boards, and we, uh, you know, um, um, start. With the first thing you want to read is the you have to read. I suppose also is is the financials and the annual integrated report and all of those good things to understand. You also have to look at the quality of of the of of, of the mix of people and skills and thinking on those boards, um, but it can just be a, a pretty much a business as usual and. We are living in a disruptive age. We are living in an age of of, of pandemics. Um, And there's been so much written and said about why it is impossible to go back to anything we ever were before um, um, March 2020. And that organizations who are forward thinking will start to, uh, if they haven't started yet, to start to think about um, how do we enhance our competence, our confidence, the credibility of our boards, especially given the erosion that we have seen even through COVID, we have seen plenty of challenges um, on boards, and we need to call those out, we need to call it out when people are are not living the values, people are, um, you know, in in, poor governance practices have poor ethical uh, behavior. We 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 should be far more um, you know activists in in our um, in our approach to these things. What, what what
0: can be done to try to go and um, to enforce that? We have a lot of MBA people that go into senior leadership teams. That's another discussion about whether that's uh, that's good or bad. I suppose.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Do we need like a board school, which uh, people go through, like a driving license for three or four months to kind of. Um, inspire them to think more about culture about purpose about this exponential world that we live in to to try to go and find ways to go and support brave and courageous CEOs that want to transform their organizations and sell the idea to investors and other constituents that this is the right thing to do. I mean, I don't know what what can be done here because it, it feels like it might not self solve. We might just have a number of companies that don't exist in five or ten years, or or diminish to levels which are nowhere near their formal glory if they don't make some sort of transformation.
2: Absolutely, and and that that is absolutely You you hit on a critical note there. So whether you know in in MBA's answer, and I have to be very careful here um, about you know what we say um, about these things, but. Um, it's, it's one lever, it's one component to get a qualification or a certification to practice. It is another thing what you go and do when you're in these positions. And, and sometimes, uh, you know, people are motivated by all sorts of different things, but we need to, when you have a purpose-driven set of leaders in a room together, there is magic that can be unlocked. If you have people with all the necessary qualifications um and and often the qualifications or the content or the methodology thereof doesn't follow some of the big debates and topics that the whole world is having it's still it's outdated. it's lagging um and it doesn't open itself up to some of the new challenges that we're beginning to face um we need to take it upon ourselves to continue to learn every single day i mean as a, as a board member i am Constantly trying to understand how can I be a better board member? How can I ensure that we have uh, meaningful conversations and we are taking the right decisions? How do I try and influence and shape um, the the strategy? And and do I have the capacity and the character to 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 to, to try and shift behaviour um, as a board member? Um, and some somebody talked about um, you know. Um, um, how do we liberate the heroic spirit of, of a business um, and, and lead people into conversations about, about, higher, about higher purpose? And I'm very encouraged um, 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 uh, Colin by some of the conversations that I'm beginning to see in, in, in the organizations, at least where I'm at. Um, I think they're they, you know really looking hard um, at, at, at some of these sorts of questions and wading into these areas where perhaps they might not have um, not have gone before. Because I think that um, people know the uh, importance of, of passionate, inspired teams of, um, of, of collaboration, of innovation now, of um, you know, creating a vibrant environment and the interdependence across stakeholders and shareholders and being conscious about our culture and conscious about our business and who we are in the world. Those conversations are beginning to happen. um, More and more focus is being brought to that. Measures are being brought into non-financial areas that we um, uh, never bothered to look at before. And so I think that I'm feeling that there is some hope here. Um, I know, for example, if you wanted to know of of, of, of qualifications, I know the Institute of Directors does a, a a wonderful course to accredited board uh, directors, to to practice um, as a a chartered uh, board member. Um, And maybe these are the things we must go and and do to prepare ourselves um, for the responsibility that we we have. um, um, Because with these huge responsibilities, uh, there's a huge expectation and there's a a huge burden on us to ensure that we are, are delivering on that.
0: There's a couple of, uh, let's do the share results on that as well, so uh, no surprises. Uh, what have we got? 95% believe that purposeful organizations tend to outperform their profit-led peers. For the 5% that don't, I'd love to hear why uh, back on the chat. A lot of the uh, the chat is coming through, not actually with questions, more statements of agreement with what you're actually saying there, Prof. Um, there, there is uh, one or two questions, though. It's um, one which I like here around KPIs from uh, Beverly. Um, and I guess the, uh, if I rearrange it slightly Brooker's, you can't manage what you can't measure kind of statement KPIs, OKRs, all these balanced scorecards are boards doing enough in that space to actually put measures in around this idea of purpose and culture. And I don't just mean the annual biannual staff survey.
2: I think that we can do, we need to do a whole, whole lot more, um, Uh, to to put in proper metrics Um, i mean the 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 obvious that you know um what gets measured gets done um and i think it's we need to go beyond again just saying well it's a kpi and i i will tick the box it has to be something that you uh, that that is core to who you are as well it's you you have to see the purpose in in what it is that you are doing every day otherwise you go going to work will be such a um, horrible experience if 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 everything that you're doing doesn't resonate with you, and and that is the way you truly engage people. Not through uh, measuring, uh, in, you know, employee employee surveys. For example, if you want to use that example, it become very expensive things to do, and it's just a very simple, few simple things that we can do to to create um, employee experience that is fantastic and and people have joy coming to work, because people relate to them, there's the social interaction, there's uh, even in remote work, there's ways to be kind and um, and generous. I mean, kindness has become a very important thing um, um, uh, to talk about. It's something that we, again, one of those soft and fluffy things we say, you know, that you, we don't do that, you'll be know, running a business. But I think elevating um, humanity in our business is is ultimately going to be the thing that we need to we need to understand. And once we do that, um, people will just be engaged. People we will be a talent magnet. People will want to come and work with us. People will want to stay with us. People will believe that we are exp- they're experiencing and not just it's not just uh, um, blurb. It's 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 a true experience, a genuine, authentic experience that we are giving people. That we are doing business with, or that we are employing, or or that we are are serving in the communities, that it that we are truly purpose. We're in a purpose driven era right now, and you think, think this is find- going to
0: change automatically, because um, this was a conversation with um, uh, Charles Savage, CEO of the Purple Group, and but uh, particularly Easy Equity. It's really fascinating. He says we're seeing retail investors become the market movers on the exchanges. You know, and you've seen, so for example, Tesla, you look in the US, 20, 25% of equity holders are basically retail, not going through a fund or, you know, they're disintermediating the black rocks of the world. So this direct access in a new generation of people who care about purpose and care about conscious capitalism and care about the future of their children, they're starting to, to, to merge their view as being a customer and choosing the, you know, their favorite companies, and an investor in those companies. And one argument is that taking away the structural asset management firms and analysts that we have now into directly the end consumer is gonna force this change anyway, because CEOs are gonna have to start uh, creating this idea of purpose more seriously. Do you you have a a view on that as an argument or maybe you're even seeing it already?
2: Yeah, I think think those transitions um, are are going to, have to be strategic choices that organisations have to make in the current world that we live in. We now interview, uh, you know, uh, um, people in, 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 you know, for for roles, and they want to know what difference are you making to society, um, which are your projects, um, um, and if your products or your services out there are not sourced from the right, you know, from green places. Um, people make a decision to not to not purchase it any longer. Um, If you're not uh, showing improvements in your carbon footprint and deliberate efforts to change um, your ways around that, um, your consumers, your consumer behavior is changing, uh, you know, and so that will be a huge catalysts, a a huge huge catalyst for why organizations um, would need to change. And this is happening more powerfully now through social media and, and, um, and technology and digitization and all of the other connectivity issues and, and, and opportunities that we have here. So um, it's, it's not the way it used to be any longer. And I think we need to, that needs to be very clear in our minds and that our customers and consumers and our stock, our employees and our stakeholders will decide whether we will be in business or not ultimately
0: you think the board composition is having changed and I suppose one quick question that's just come through as well (laughs) we have a lot of boards and a lot of board members that are in the newspapers regularly for doing all the wrong things
1: yeah
0: you know CEOs and the c-suite in general are meant to get fired when they do the wrong things board members seem to be able to stay in their positions for quite extended periods of you know time Is there a mechanism? How does that actually work, and how are they able to go and survive in these spaces and not not be called out?
2: Yeah, that is a very interesting question because we've seen a lot of that, and I think that uh, you know we must understand the processes of. uh, um, We need to appoint ethical leaders onto boards in the very first place. not um, and we need to weed those out that are unethical we need to we need to do that without fear or favor Um, and the only thing is that shareholders appoint board members uh, to represent them in in board meetings and to represent their interests Um, so shareholders need to take people off boards that are not displaying purpose-led values-based ethical leadership They, it's within their remit to do that. Of course, the rest of us as board members can make it very uncomfortable for people and we can start nudging them out and calling it out if if it's unacceptable. We need to be, we need to turn up the volume if you like on that because we cannot be put into a situation where we don't have credible leadership, where we do not have transformational and inspirational leadership at this very, very important Um, um, governance area um, um, of our businesses called the board. And so I think um, just to close off, I think the question that we started with Colin is around do boards need new purpose? The answer is a resounding yes.
0: Thank you very much, Prof. Can you hear me? I can hear you. There you go, welcome. I see that you're on. Usually this is the moment when you ask a question, but I forgot to tell you at the start. I don't know if you've got a question. We can't hear you now. Okay. These things happen. It's live. It's uh, modern technology. So... (laughs) One last question from me. So we need the shareholders to start taking the board to account. Is there a structure in place or do we need to go and have a look at how that structure works to allow that to actually occur? It sort of goes back to this oversight, you know, who is overseeing the board member, who is managing and and holding them to account and what can happen in that process to make this actually occur?
2: Well, usually, um, uh, this, the way it's, it's currently structured is that the, at, at the AGM, board members are appointed, new board members are appointed, old board members are are reappointed for, uh, for, for specific terms. Um, and this is the opportunity also to say um, that uh, you will no longer be standing or give you an opportunity to leave before we actually tell you to, to move on. Um, so I think that is the the construct, and and usually we have um, we have shareholders who, who who do that. What we are finding more and more now is that um, activists um, in the form of broader stakeholders in in the environmental sustainability governance uh, communities, they 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 can they also now influence and shape um, uh, and call out uh, people who are. Um, uh, leaders um, on these boards who are not behaving um, um, ethically, or who are, you know, practicing poor governance, um, and and so I think I think there are many opportunities um, to say to a you know to a board member that is not purpose driven and not values based to so say we no longer require your services. We just need to do that more directly. And we need, if it if it's, if, whether the shareholders are public or in the private sphere or an NGO or an academic institution, we need to be calling this out um, more and more so that we can ensure that we are positioning our organizations um, to, to be high performing, to be productive, to be constructive members of society, and also that we can build an economy that deals with our poverty and inequality and and all of the challenges that we are facing with this pandemic.